Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real people, real stories, real hope. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my hostess with the mostest, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we keep this hope train a moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo! Oh, I love that part. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> well, how you doing, Jennifer? Um, Really good. Really good. Yeah. What makes you really, really good? It's another day that I woke up and I'm grateful for it. And you're doing really good because yesterday we resolved ourselves to going to our happy place. Yes. We get another trip. We're going to, we're going to, we've just officially booked a trip to Mexico, yes. which is where we love to be. That's, that's where we recharge. That's where we rejuvenate. That's where we reconnect. That's where we re-all the things. And that's where I live my best mermaid life. You are a mermaid, right? I am. You swim with the fishes. I do. That's kind of neat. <laughs> that's kind of neat. Yeah, that's really neat. I want to see you do that. I, you see me every morning out in the ocean. I always end up in the ocean every single day. Yes, you do. You don't like to as much as I do, but I just love it. I think it depends on the time of year. When the water's warm, I love it. When the water's cold, I don't love it as much. I always love it. (laughs) And then sometimes the waves are kind of scary. Sometimes they're like, oh, they're trying to kill you. Yeah. Especially Especially on the beach we go to. Those are rogue waves. Really? Yes, you can die from them. It feels like sometimes. Mm-hmm. It feels like sometimes they're after you. It's like a sneak attack. It is. You're like just doing a selfie, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, roar. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, don't lose the phone. Yeah. That's all you care about. Well, you <laughs> Take know. Take me, don't lose the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, um, I think what's important for people to remember is that, you know, like, for example, we host this podcast. It's mm-hmm. a podcast on hope. And certainly we have our days of discouragement. But I think the big thing that we've tried to focus on is is balancing our life and, and still finding opportunities to to, you know, soak in joy. Yes. And I think that if you have a happy place, whether that's in the mountains, whether that's you know, in another country, if that's somewhere else, like I'm not the type that's going to be afraid to fly. I'm not, I've, I've never been like a let fear dictate what right. I'm going to do kind of a thing. And so, well, we're very safe anyways, too. Yes. So. Well, and I, and I figured like if the airlines are going to open up, like for example, Southwest is opened up, you know, flights yeah. to Cabo and that's, right. let's do it. Let's go down yeah. there. Let's make sure that that, uh, happens because I think that that's our happy place. Yeah. I mean, we, we do follow all the rules and I think we're a little bit more, you know, germaphobes than the average person. Well, so. I think Mexico has done a really good job oh. of dealing with COVID too. I, I mean, will they, say they are better at dealing with COVID than the United States. What makes you say they're better? Because I can't walk into any store without being, without a temperature check, without a mask on, without them putting hand sanitizer all over my whole body, wiping me down. And they wipe my cart right in front of me. So it's like, I don't even have to second guess. I just feel like everywhere you go in Mexico, they are on to you. Like here, it's kind of like, you know, we went to Apple Hill this weekend and half the people had masks on and half of them didn't. And nobody social distanced. There was like more people than than Disneyland in this one there little There were facility. thousands of people in our local area yes. in, in Apple Hill. And this is an area in the fall where people go and they get pies and cookies. And mm-hmm. we had... Banana donuts. Oh my gosh. The like 
good thing this place isn't close to us because I would be a glutton on <laughs> banana donuts. They Those were, were the best so donuts good. I've ever had in my life. Oh I my swear, gosh. even better than fritters, you know. Yeah. But long story short, like thousands of people there mm-hmm. and half of them wear masks, half yeah. of them not. And I'm like, we didn't last Whoa. very long. We literally yeah. got donuts and left. Like it was just felt unsafe it, and dirty. It, it felt risky. I, yeah, I honestly thought there wouldn't be that many people there, but like yeah. it was jam packed. Yeah. So, so I, I do agree with you. I think Mexico does a much better oh, job. Of it would not be allowed in Mexico. Yeah. And that's what I love about them. Like, they're just like the rules are the rules and you don't want to mess with the rules in Mexico because their policemen are carrying weapons. You just, you better be good and just say, okay. <laughs> well, y- yes, their policemen are carrying weapons, but as long as you got cash, you're going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of uh, run into some issues in Mexico. Hey, listen, with the if police. you're driving around in Mexico and you get pulled over, just make sure you got some cash yeah. with you because cash solves all your problems. Yes, it does. Yes, it Gavin, does. Gavin, our, our uh, second oldest son was actually able to stay down there a little longer than us the last time we were there he got pulled over twice and shaken down twice for some cashola yeah and also you know if you ever are going to mexico cabo and you're driving take a photocopy of your registration yes (laughs) because they require that if they pull you over they want your registration so give them the photocopy and say have fun with it and just leave yeah because what happened was he got pulled over Mm -hmm. he had to give over the registration to get the registration back he had to go home get some cash come back to the cop who was waiting there just washing down his motorcycle as he was waiting he took he gave him 15 minutes to get back with some with some money yeah and it's it's not a scary process it's just like they got to feed their families too i get it you know like if we have money we give it to them like hey we can help you out go buy some tamales and Maybe bring some home for me too. <laughs> I'm all good with it. Yeah. Well, as long as you know how the system works, you can, you can. Oh, we've learned. Yeah, we've definitely <laughs> learned. All right. You ready for some funny time? Let's do funny time. All right. What do you, you want me to go first or do you? Um, I'm going to go first. You are? Okay. Yes. Here we go. Why didn't the turkey eat at Thanksgiving dinner? Why didn't the turkey eat at Thanksgiving dinner? I don't know why. He was already stuffed. <laughs> that one came out of my head. Really? Yeah. You thought of that one your own, yeah. all yourself? Yes. Out of your own noggin? Yes. Look at you. I know. I'm getting smarter every You're gonna day. You're going to be a comedian. You just wait. Oh, that'd be fun. So um, here's mine. Okay. You ready? Yeah. I don't know if it's a pun or a joke or whatever, but we'll see if you laugh. Okay. All right. I want to die peacefully in my sleep, like my grandfather. Not screaming and yelling like the passengers in his car. <laughs> Wait a minute, what happened? Did he get in an accident? I want to die peacefully in my sleep. So basically, the grandfather fell asleep, and the other people were screaming because in his car, because oh, you know, not so like they the got other. Got pa- an accident. Yeah, this was a failure. Anytime I have to explain a joke like this to you, it was a failure. <laughs> it, I failed. <laughs> My, you won joke time. Yay. You created the original joke. You, you, you're a winner. That's for you. That's for me. I just don't like jokes where it makes me have to think. But your brain works 20 times faster than mine. So I know, how can but you not- there was two scenarios. The, the grandfather died in his sleep and the other ones died in a car. So I'm trying to figure out. I have to put it together that, and I still didn't put it together. You had to explain it to me that the grandfather was driving the car. I'm thinking the grandfather's at home and there's people in the car. 
and that's just weird in my head. I don't like it. Apparently. Yeah, boo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be my own boo. Well, how about we move on from uh, funny time here and let's have an interview. I think it's a great idea. I have a guest come on. Her name mm-hmm. is Anna Garcia. Okay. And she's going to tell us a story about a very significant, very challenging time in her life. And uh, she ended up contracting a very rare form of blood cancer. And this particular blood cancer really makes your bones hurt, makes your joints hurt. And she mm-hmm. was dealing with it for a year or so. And uh, she was actually given a 3% chance of survival. And Whoa. here she is 10 years later telling her story. Wow. So this is definitely going to be a story of hope. Exactly. So shall we call her? We shall. Let's get her on the line and let's talk. Let's get some hope on, Jennifer. I'm ready for some hope. Here we go. All right, I've got Anna Garcia on the line. Anna, welcome to Hope Radio Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. No problem. We're happy to have you on the show. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where do you live? Are you married? You got kids? You know, tell us a little bit about your life. Sure. I was born and raised in Mexico City, and I moved to the U.S. 20 years ago for work. I work in a technology company, and um, I lived for a little bit in Miami, Florida, then for a couple years, two years in Houston, and now I'm living in Boise, Idaho. Oh. I have, uh, yeah, the land of potatoes, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a kid, I grew up uh, actually in Idaho. I was back and forth between Can- or California and Idaho. And so I lived in Boise. I lived in uh, Potlatch, Idaho. I lived in Salmon Falls. And so I, I moved around a bit. But I loved Idaho because Idaho really had four distinct seasons. Like you had spring, you had summer, you had winter, you had fall. And uh, here in Sacramento where we live, it, I feel like we have two seasons. It's either winter or summer. And Jen's now in the transition between <laughs> Summer and winter, you know, my wife, Jen, she's got a two degree, three degree temperature kind of variance. And so right now it's a little under 70 degrees. So she's freezing. And if it's over 73, then she's hot. So like it needs to be right in that 70 to 73 range. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, right now it's great here. It's turning orange and yellow, just like fall should be. So we love it here. Oh, I miss that. And, um, um, we, uh, I'm married. My husband is Dutch and my daughter, we only have one daughter. She's 13 years old and she loves, uh, living here. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Idaho is a beautiful place to be and and I can't, uh, imagine it not being a fabulous place to, to have a family and raise some kids, etc. And so thank you. Thank you for sharing about that. And um, I guess my question for you is, you know, relative to the subject of hope, you know, we all kind of have trials and tribulations. We all have struggles. We all have things that that hit us and affect us and bring us to our knees. And it's I think it's often how we rise out of that that matters the most. I know you have a hope story. And so, you know, maybe you can just begin where that story, where you'd like to start that story for the benefit of our listeners, and uh, we'll just let you kind of unpack it. Well, my story really, or I would say that my life really turned around 10 years ago when 
was diagnosed with a very aggressive and rare form of cancer. This is uh, called the T-cell lymphoma, and it was a, a journey before I was diagnosed for one and a half years. I went back and forth with different uh, doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me. What were your um, symptoms? What were you feeling? What 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 did you start to notice before you, you know, even went to the doctor? Well, I felt a lot of pain in my bones, like bone pain, kind of like what you feel when you're coming down with something, some type of flu or cold or something like that, but it was constant. I started seeing um, my skin. I was getting something that looked kind of like a bad acne, but in different parts of my body. It wasn't really acne. It was just some lumps. Um, um, I had a lot of joint pain to the point that I could not button up a shirt, uh, pull over a sweatshirt over my head. It, it was really, really painful. And, um, I mean, doctors were not familiar with it. So I went from dermatologist to rheumatologist. I mean, different specialists, and um, at the end, I was um, I was able to be diagnosed um, with this um, that it's called T cell lymphoma, and literally, it is a cancer that is in your blood, in your immune system, so it affects. Um, your immune system, and um, it, it's curable if you are um, diagnosed early and it only involves your skin. However, in my case, um, by the time that I was diagnosed, I had already... Um, the, the lymphoma or the, the virus had already invaded every organ in my in my body. Oh my and, gosh! Um, it was already a late stage four. So you're late stage four. It had been a year and a half that you'd been dealing with the pain, and a year and a half that you were trying to figure out what was going on. I mean, going to various right. specialists within the medical community to try to process of elimination, figure out exactly what's going on, and then come to find out it's actually a rare form of blood cancer, and now it's aggressive stage four. So that that in and of itself had to have been earth-shattering for you. Right. At the time, my daughter was three years old, and I was, I mean, through this process of trying to be diagnosed, I suspected that there was something really, really wrong with me. However, when I was diagnosed and I was referred to an oncologist, this oncologist told me that with the treatment that they had in, in that hospital, I had a 3% chance of surviving. Um, so... How did how did how did how did you process that? 
I mean, when, when somebody says it, it something. Was, it was, yeah, it, it was really, it was really hard. I, I mean, to me, I mean, at first, the the news were like, well, 3% chance, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to survive, right? I felt kind of as if someone had died, that type of mourning, that type of pain. But at the same time, I thought, well, it doesn't mean I, I have to die. It, it's a 3% chance. What if he's wrong? You know, who is he to tell me 3% chance? And I asked him, and it's like, if I was your daughter, what would you recommend me to do? And my doctor said, well, I recommend you go to a very important hospital in Houston where they can uh, treat you. They have some protocols where that 3% chance can become 20 or 30% chance of survival. So that really gave me hope. But at the same time, I felt like I needed help. I, I thought that I was in front of two choices. The first choice was to feel sorry for myself and become sad and depressed and angry. And the other choice was to focus on the chances of survival. Um, and making the best out of every day. And honestly, it, it is not an easy choice because in that moment when you're standing in front of the possibility of you dying, it's, it's very confusing. It's very hard, very hard to make the, the right choice. And I would imagine um, that, that the choices that you make, that's, that's between one and two, feel sorry for yourself, sad, depressed, angry, or focusing mm-hmm. on survival and, and living. I would imagine that, that it's not always just that choice. I, in other words, you know, you can have 10 days where you're in category number two and probably a day where you're mm-hmm. in category number one, feeling sorry for yourself, sad, depressed, right. et cetera. So it's like, you know, the, the, the cumulative of it is you're going to spend more time focused on category number two, but I can't help but think that you had some category number one days. Like, why me? What, you know, what's going on? I'm sad. Yeah. I'm upset. I mean, if you're contemplating your own survival and mortality, especially with a young daughter and your husband, and, you know, you're sitting here going, you know, what am I going to miss? What am I not going to see? I mean, what happens if the worst does happen and I don't make it? You know, those, those types of questions. Definitely. I definitely, I, I remember standing by, um, by my daughter's crib and just thinking about that, um, watching her sleep and knowing that if I passed away at three years old, she would not remember me. And it was really hard for me. My doctor at the time, while I was being transferred to or waiting for my uh, transfer to Houston, he recommended I, I talk to a grief counselor because it was important for him that I would be prepared somewhat to what could come up, be prepared to die. So I thought, I mean, my 
response to that was, okay, I'll, I'll go and talk to someone. And I was angry, just like what you say, some days. I wanted an explanation. Where did I get this? How can I prevent it? Or how could I have had prevented it? And no one had answers for me. And the more I asked why, I would feel like I was getting into kind of like a rat hole where I wasn't going to find an answer. Nobody had answers for me. So then I started asking myself the question, what for? That's what good. What is yeah. this for? And that helped me somewhat. Um, refocus a little bit my day. But I, I thought about what would my husband do when I pass away? And I would picture in my head him trying to get rid of my stuff and how painful would that be when I wouldn't be around. Then I decided to make things easier for him and just give away all my clothes, give away everything. I just, I was ready to go um, to the hospital with one suitcase, and that's all I had. I packed my photographs, my wedding dress, everything in a different box, and that's all I had. Um, that's a powerful image right it, there. I mean, I, I feel like that's probably the point at which you felt maybe the, the, the lowest, the least hope-filled, right. you know, in order for you to give away all your clothes, in order for you to be preparing to make things easier for your husband, you had to be in the space where you imagined that you weren't going to be there at all, and you're going to take one suitcase, and that suitcase is the only thing he's going to have to deal with at some point. Right, and I have to, in a way, live um, the reality of what I was facing. So I had to make choices. I was forced to make choices of um, what would happen uh, if if I had if my heart stopped beating. Would I want to be resuscitated? Would I want um, what would I want to do with my um, bank account? Or I mean everything. Write uh, a short will and who should be notified. All those types of things that are part of what you need to do in the world to leave your affairs in order. But at the same time, when I was faced with that, it felt unreal. Most of us know that we are mortal, that one day we're going to die. But you, you never think about that. You never really think about that. So it, it was... It was hard to deal with that. Um, how how did again, your how did your husband handle it at the time? And did you have family in Mexico City that knew what was going on? I mean, did you have extended family that were also aware of what was happening? Yes, I called everyone. I called everyone in my extended family to speak uh, personally. To each one of them, and I said my goodbye. Um, I a lot of them re reacted like, "No, don't worry, you'll be fine," and we're praying for you. And 
want to do the best, I mean, whatever you need, if you need money, if you need whatever, help will be here. My mother traveled from Mexico to be with me in the hospital. I also spoke to my husband's family. And I think everybody responds a different way. And it was heartbreaking for me to hear some of the people's responses. But later I understood that all I could control were my own feelings. My feelings were were clear, right? I, I was hurting and I was expecting people to kind of support me and cheer, cheer me up. But not everybody can handle that news the same way. For example, my father, who's not used to really expressing his emotions, he was very shocked. And he could not come up with anything to help me. He All he could say was like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Um, I feel, and I, that was... I feel like that would be Jen. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, like Jen gets, you know, around really heavy subjects. She, I think, draws inward and has difficulty in knowing what to yeah. say. Right? Like, it's it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to say. What what would you have wanted somebody to say to you at the time? What, what did you need to hear? Uh, that whatever happened would be fine. That I had the strength in me to face whatever came my way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would have helped. I would have... It would have helped also for someone to give me an understanding that you can do so many things on your own strength, but when you rely on God, things can change. And I I did not receive that message from anyone in my family, to be perfectly honest. I was going to ask you about Um, faith. I was going to ask you about whether or not you'd grown up with, with faith and where your faith was at when you were wrestling with this, you know, basically uh, life sentence or death sentence with cancer. Right. Well, I grew up in a family that had a little bit of divided faith, a Judeo-Catholic family where there were a lot of discussions about religion. I, I honestly wasn't really practicing of either faith. I knew that God existed, and I knew the stories of the Bible, Moses and Noah and all those things, but I really wasn't very into religion. So I didn't know how to pray. I had never read the Bible. I had no church to go to, and... And like I said before, no one in my family could tell me what what to do. But I I had a coworker, a, a friend of mine, who came to visit me after my first chemotherapy, and she was talking to me, and she brought in a Bible, and she showed me in the Bible Isaiah um, fifty three five, where it says. 
by his stripes we are healed. And she read to me the whole um, um, the whole paragraph, and I was surprised. I had never heard before that God could heal me, that God could be faithful to me if I was willing to reach out to him. So she told me also, look, I know that you're, you don't, you don't have clarity. You don't um, have, let's say, a definition of a religion, but basing yourself in your Judeo beliefs, remember that God is a God of covenant. Um, he took the Israelites out of Egypt. Why don't you make a covenant with God and see what happens? At this point, you have nothing to lose. And then she asked me if I wanted to receive Jesus in my heart. She led me into a prayer, and that that was essentially it. So that day, I thought, okay, true. What do I have to lose, right? Um, so I, while I was taking a shower, which was the only place where I could be with myself without being bothered, I started a prayer saying, God, if you are real, I want to make a covenant with you the same way you made it with my people. I laid down my life to you, thinking they've been really that I have been asked to undergo um, um, clinical trial. It was really an experimental treatment. And only 10 patients had undergone this um, protocol. So I thought I was laying my life for science. It, that was what I felt in my, in my heart. But in my prayer, what I said was, I laid down my life to you for others to be saved. Wow. Of course. That is powerful. Um, that That's a really, really, for somebody that was not, you know, raised with a strong faith to come to that point, to have that friend share with you, to, to have that stir within your spirit, to then be able to pray that that raw, needy, heartfelt, just help me. Here's my covenant. Here's my promise. Here's, here's you, you know, help me, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that's, and, and that was it. I, I just had two things. I mean, that, that was one of, of my prayers. And the other prayer I had was, help me. As simple as that. God, help me. And through that prayer, something kind of came up in my heart, kind of a reminder of what I had learned when I was young and like a child. And 
it came to my heart, these words, like, you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. When I kind of realized that as the path to follow forward, everything turned around. Everything turned around. I was able to find a place where to live in Houston where I knew no one. A lot of people um, came forth trying to help to pray for me. It was like the friend of the friend of the friend called me and I'm calling you to pray for you. It, it was just incredible the way that once I realized that all I needed to do was to focus in God and with all my strength and focus in loving him and delighting myself in him it was like um I don't know, like the sun started shining. I was able to let go of my grief, of my daily grief, and focus more, a little bit more, on enjoying the day. A lot of people, when you're going through these process, tell you, oh, you have to be strong. You have to be brave. Do it for your daughter. Do it for your husband, you'll be fine. I can tell you, these treatments are brutal. So there's absolutely no way that you can do this on your own strength. I could not put my faith in a three-year-old girl, my daughter. I could not try to hang on to my husband who was dealing with treatments, insurance, with uh, taking care of my daughter alone. You see, so I could not connect, let's say, horizontally. I had to connect vertically to God to find um, that strength. That is so powerful. I've, I've, I've never heard anybody say it that way, connect horizontally versus connecting vertically and i think that that's a powerful visual you, you get it yeah, jen like yeah. a, it hit me the, the the same way i had to connect, connect vertically yeah. Yeah. instead of horizontally and and uh i think what you're talking about is you know, something else that you'd said is that as soon as you started to focus on god things started to, to turn around and 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 i think that that was the moment you became hope filled mm-hmm. you you mm-hmm. you you know what i mean like there there is so much hope in faith. There's so much hope in God. There's hope in Jesus. And, and when you focus on that, like that's in, instead of the worldly, instead of the doctors, instead of the, the words mm-hmm. that they say, you know, which they've got to say, but like, I, I, I feel like, you know, often physicians words are, you know, a fire st- extinguisher on the fire of hope inside you. You know, it's like, they've got to be pragmatic. They've got to, you know, tell you what is the worst possible outcome not the best possible outcome. And, uh, and I think that that's just powerful, very powerful, connect vertically and not horizontally. Right, right. Because in, in your own strength, you'll just get so far. 
I lost all my hair, for example. There was no physical thing I could do to get my hair back. Example. And that's that's so, and let me let me just say I as a guy I I guess I don't realize how demoralizing that mm-hmm. can be to a woman. Jen, right. like I think you can speak mm-hmm. to this. Jen Jen's had an iron deficiency that she struggles with, and so anytime she takes iron supplements, she starts to lose her hair, yeah. and it just what is that it's like? A, it's like the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why it's just hair, but like you just feel like. I don't know. You're do you just, do you not feel like a woman anymore? Do you feel not pretty? Do you not feel like no? What is, I, I no. For me, I just feel like I'm dying. Like something is really wrong, and I don't like this. Yeah, it's not normal. Mm-hmm. So it just makes you feel bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I I was shocked in the beginning, mm-hmm. but then one day, at the, to the point that I would not, I would walk by a mirror and not look at myself. Mm-hmm. Not even when I was washing my hands or something like that. But then one day I just decided to look at myself and then say, well, I this is not me. This is an effect of the medicine. Yeah. This is not me. I am a different person. I am. I, I would tell myself I I am strong this is just the way i look now as a result of a medicine kind of kind of like a uniform if if you can call it like that um when a soldier goes to war they have a certain haircut a certain dress i mean pants and uniform you know Mm -hmm. i thought okay this is the uniform that shows everybody that i'm a cancer patient but I am not cancer, and I I am more than that. So I just decided to stop covering my head, and I would just walk around as I was. I think that's so powerful. Um, yeah. I think that you know, like I've never heard that described that way. Like if I, if I was if I was in that kind of a battle, like I would want to think, yeah, this is my uniform. Like right. when I go into battle with cancer, I, my head's got to be shaved. I've got, you know, no hair, you know, it's like, it, it just gives it a different context. I think that's really, really a powerful visual. And, and, and I think a really good way to think about it. I am not what I see in the mirror. Right. This is just the uniform that I'm wearing for this battle yes. that I've got to take on. I like yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I had to learn the lingo. So I had to learn what the doctors were telling me, all these medical terms. Um, I and had and with English not being your first language, that's even more difficult because you're learning a term in the medical community that's in English, and that's not your first language. Right, right. But, uh, I mean, it, it, I think it's all part of a journey. And so then, I, I, I mean, my my home became the hospital, and when I was in the hospital, I it was it. I, I cannot say it was a really a pleasant experience, but that's where you are most of the day. So, I again, there were very bad days and very good days, or or better days, not very good days, but better days. 
Um, so on better days, I would get up, take my robot because I was hooked to a number of things all day long, every day. And I would walk around with my robot just walk uh, through the halls and looking at other patients that were in the hospital and asking them, hey, <laughs> kind of like, hey, what are you in here for, right? Um, and some people would um, talk to me. Other people would be kind of like, no, I'm just, let leave me alone and, um, slowly I made friends with nurses and with other patients and, um, could you, I, could you tell a difference yeah. between people that were s- spiritual faith filled mm-hmm. and people that weren't in terms of how they responded to you, how they responded to care, how they responded to the situation? Yeah, I could tell how people were. Um, I, I I could tell that, but I I remember very well when one of the doctors came into my room, and then um, he said to me, "I really can't understand what what's your secret." He said because the chemotherapy that we gave you, we gave to another patient next who was next door to me and she's not doing well however you're here just kind of trying to watch tv what's your secret and i just i just pointed to a bible that i had next to my bed and i said this and the the doctor just smiled um I do think that having a positive attitude or faith, hope made all the difference. Oh, I believe Um, that. I believe that uh, 100%. So, you know, clearly when you began this conversation, you talked about it being 10 years ago. And so through the trial and the tribulation, through the experimental drug, through the chemotherapy, how how did you find yourself healthy? How, how tell us a little bit about that stage in the process? When did you get the news that it looked like the cancer was in remission, etc.? Well, they told me I had to undergo H treatments, but they told me in the beginning that I would undergo four treatments. First, they we would kind of stop, take a look at how my body was progressing, and take it from there to decide how to go for the other eight treatments. So when those four treatments were over, it turned out it was December 21st. Um, And I was called in to... uh, the doctor to see um, so that the doctor would tell me how I had progressed and what steps were because after therapy I was supposed to have a transplant Um, and that day the doctor took like 
forever to come in, and I was getting really nervous because I thought, oh, my priorities are not goodness. At the end, the doctor came in uh, one little piece of paper instead of a bunch of that papers that they would normally come come with. Um, she said, "Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Well, I think this is going to be great Christmas for you." And I was like, "What do you mean? I'm supposed to go into my." Fifth uh, treatment um, on December twenty fifth or sixth. <laughs> what do you mean? And she said, "Well, there's there's not going to be a fifth treatment. You're in remission. You can go home and spend Christmas with your family." Oh, tell us how that felt. Did that not feel like the the best day that you'd ever had? It felt like a movie, like a Hallmark movie. Uh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It was it was the best Christmas present ever. The um, it was a really the best Christmas present ever. And I and I love that. That's that's at a time when you were exercising and practicing your faith and living your faith and trusting no matter what happens, good, bad, or indifferent, that you're, you're still going to be okay with it. And, and here you get delivered, you get this news just days before Christmas yeah. that, that just had to have been yeah. awesome. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, right now it still overwhelms me. But um, my reaction in that moment after I left the office, I mean, the nurses came and they hugged me and uh, we all cried together. And when I, I, I wasn't there with my husband, my husband had just dropped me off and he was supposed to pick me up after the appointment. And um, so while he was, while I was waiting for him, I went into the hospital's uh, gift shop, and I had no presents. I was not prepared to, to spend Christmas, so I just bought little things and some candy for my daughter, and those were my quote-unquote Christmas presents for them. And um, when I got into the car, my husband just looked at me and saw the things that I had like from the gift shop, and he what happened? And I said, "I'm free. I'm I'm healed. I'm healed." And it it was it was incredible. Um, he he just parked the car. We hugged each other. It it it, it was like a new opportunity, a new door opening. Um, all the Pain and hurt were were just had just were part of my past at that point. Oh. Um, of course, I still had no hair. I still looked <laughs> horrible. I still had all the side effects you could imagine, but none nothing of that really mattered. Um, 
it was just the joy of seeing that my prayer had been answered. Now, as we, um, I have a specific question for you. You know, we're getting towards the tail end of the show. As we close out the show, I just want to, I just want to ask, you know, like you were given a diagnosis that the first doctor that you ever spoke to said you had a 3% survivability of. And so I can't help but imagine that there's somebody else listening that may have received a diagnosis like that, that may be in the process of fighting their own battle, that may have their cancer suit on, which, you know, includes no hair and fatigue and loss of weight, etc. So based on your experience and, and based on what's happened to you, what would you say to somebody right now? What would you say to yourself or someone else at the beginning of their battle? I would say there are two things you can do. One is the one that you control. Choose to be positive or choose hope. And the second thing is you will find hope in God. You don't need to know all the Bible, he will meet you wherever you are. You may think, I've never gone to church. I've been, I've done all these things. How can God care? If God really exists, why am I going through all this? You may have all these questions. doesn't matter. I dare you to talk to him and ask him. If you are real, help me. That's all you need to do. He'll meet you wherever you are. Whatever you think you've done wrong or whatever you're going through, um, I think it, it applies for, uh, for, for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a disease, if you're undergoing right now, um, financial problem or someone in your family is is going through something really bad just a simple prayer can change your life around oh i love that thank you so much anna this has really just been a powerful powerful episode and i want to thank you for for just giving hope to not only us through your story through faith and through your understanding of the situation you went through but undoubtedly others that will listen and that are going to listen yeah. it's just really you agree jen oh, just absolutely. very powerful very powerful in your in your story so thank you so much for sharing and for being vulnerable and uh, taking some time to to hopefully give hope to others Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Jen, what'd you think about our interview with Anna Garcia? Wow. She had a lot of actually great little hope nuggets, as you like to call it. Yes. The hope nut. We see when we do an interview like this, Mm -hmm. we are mining for hope. Yes. And the hope that we get, I call them hope nuggets. Just a nugget that you just connect with and you go, oh. I wrote so many down. I know. So, like, give me one that you connected with. I loved her point on saying how she needed to connect vertically and not horizontally. Yeah. I've never heard that before. And it just visually makes my head happy. 
Yeah, it's it's like doctors saying, well, do mm-hmm. it for your daughter, do it for your husband. You got to fight because your daughter's, you know, two years old. Yeah. You got to fight because your husband would be lost without you, you yeah. know? And so those relationships are horizontal relationships. Right. Right. And she said, I had, I couldn't connect horizontally. That, that wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. I had to connect vertically. Yes. And I thought good. that was brilliant. So good. I, I agree. And the other one I connected to is uh, just her acknowledgement of how she dealt with the physical side effects mm-hmm. of chemotherapy, radiation, yeah. etc. losing her hair, which, you know, yeah. as we talked about, can be a very traumatic thing for, um, women. I guess it can for also be anyone. for, for yeah. men too, but I, I just feel like women find their femininity a lot mm-hmm. with hair and, and their identity, their identity. And, yeah. and so if you lose that, then, you know, there's a lot of bald guys out there, mm-hmm. you know, fewer bald women out there kind right. of thing. Right. And uh, just to have her say that that was my my suit, my yes. armor, my yes. my uniform, it's temporary. Yeah. yeah, and I think it. I think I'm in the midst of battle. Like you'd recognize a soldier. A soldier's got a clean cut. Yep. You know, he's got his uniform on. He's got camo on. Like mm-hmm. you go, okay, he's doing X Y Z job. He's in the military. And her connecting that with kind of her. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah, I just never heard anybody share anything like that before, too. And just, you know, her rising, like a 3% chance and maintaining her faith and finding her faith. And that friend Mm -hmm. coming alongside her to share scripture, Isaiah 53.5, by his stripes we are healed. You know, that point I thought was awesome. Amen to that, right? Right. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a fantastic episode. So if people want to hear more of our Hope Radio podcast, Jen, where do they go to do so? They can tune in on iTunes. Yes. Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. SoundCloud. And even Amazon Alexa. Yes, she will play us. Now, what would we like people to do? We'd like them to connect with us yes. and leave us reviews. Mm-hmm. So how do they do that? They can do that on any of those, actually, right? Just go and yes. like and you can Leave subscribe to us, follow us on uh, the podcast platform. So if you're on, if you're an Apple uh, iPhone user, you can go to Apple Podcasts yes. and subscribe to our podcast there. You can also do so on SoundCloud. You can do mm-hmm. so on Spotify. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're really looking for is more direct connection. So if you've got a, a story of hope that you yourself could share, if you know of somebody that's got yes. a story of hope, reach out, uh, send us a direct message on Instagram and Facebook. We are Hope Radio Podcast. On Instagram and Facebook. Yes. And then we'll keep this hope train and moving on down the tracks, right, Jen? That's right. Choo-choo. I think, I think, see, because we're hawkers of hope, Jen. We're originators of optimism. We're purveyors of positivity. We are engineers of encouragement. That all spells hope. And we get to do it again. Yes. We need, we need, I think we should do it again. I think we, we should have another back. interview tomorrow. Another hope discussion tomorrow. What okay. do you say? I will be here. You're going to be here? Yep. Let's do it. Here's a preview of episode number 96 of the Hope Radio podcast. Definitely just with the pandemic alone, the rate of anxiety, depression, suicide, sleepless nights has gone up. And I think even more so for moms, because you're only not having to take care of yourself, but you're having to take care of your family and making sure they're okay in the midst of everything. And that's why it is so important, even with all that's going on and the social distancing that it's so important to have a good support system and to have good communication. Um, I always talk about communicating with your family and just hearing you guys talk. I know you guys, you know, have a great relationship with each other and with your boys. And I think that's so important because 
you know, it's not only awesome when times are good, but it really comes to light and makes a difference when you're in a time like this. 